Hey, happy Monday night, everybody. What's up? It's been a few days since we've done an episode of The Breakdown, uh, partly because the NBA has just been a little crazy at the end. I felt like these last few days, it was really hard to get much of a read on anything because teams did have something to play for or didn't, and half the time it didn't seem to matter, and you never knew who was playing. So felt like it was good to just take a few days off, kind of keep an eye on things, but uh, yeah, not do too much with it. But we are back and it is playoff time as long as you count the play-in tournament as the playoffs, which I do. Uh, the Timberwolves are in it, so I got to count it. You know, got to count that they made the playoffs. So definitely excited to get into this week and see some games where teams are going all out, playing everybody. Uh, as we do go into the playoffs, a couple things. One is um, I'm going to be going a little bit deeper on some of these games. Um when there's only like tomorrow, there's only two games. So it's easier to do a little bit of a deeper dive, hopefully try to still get to the information that's most useful, but I really do want to try to get a holistic perspective, uh, matchup trends, data, all that kind of stuff. Um, would love to, I'm trying to do a better job of watching the comments. So if you're watching on YouTube, I don't think I can see the comments from Twitter actually through Streamyard, which I'm using, but if you're on YouTube or if you're on Twitter, switch over to the YouTube channel, um, and I'll definitely try to interact with comments as you guys have those. Um, but we're going to dive deep into these games. The other thing is, understandably, like it's going to be interesting to see what we get as we go into the playoffs. Um, expect increased effort, um, maybe even increased defensive effort. So we're going to be feeling things out as we go, but um, excited to get into this. So let's jump into it this is the nba breakdown for tuesday april 12th and yes i do know it is monday night but the games are on tuesday so this is tuesday april 12th first up we're going to talk about the Cavs at the nets brooklyn eight and a half point favorites in this one what a fall it has been for the Cavs from when they were up at the top of the eastern conference obviously the injuries have plagued them this season and that's made it uh, a tough go for them Brooklyn on the other side is a team we expected to be up near the top of the East, and they are not up near the top of the East. A lot of injuries for them as well. Obviously, the Harden trade, um, lots that's gone on for the Nets, but they haven't necessarily looked amazing. So how do these two teams stack up as we head into this game? Well, uh, these, these teams did play fairly recently on uh, April 8th. So, yeah, just a few days ago. Is that right? Sorry, now I'm like questioning myself. Yeah, whatever. Hopefully my notes are right. Really, I don't think you can put too much into any recent games because of the lack of stuff to play for and things like that. It was 118-107 Brooklyn in that game. Both teams did play all their people. I went back and looked. Um, and so everybody played pretty high minutes. So it does seem like both teams were trying to... I remember looking back at this now. Both teams were were trying to win, it appears. A little bit lower scoring game than I would have expected, but Brooklyn finished out the year with a, a number of lower scoring games and definitely going to expect to see a bit of a repeat of that potentially as we get into the playoffs um, with the increased effort. What I want to do first is I'm going to go through and break down Cleveland's offense, Brooklyn's defense, and then the reverse of that to try to get a sense of what we could expect out of both teams on both ends of the floor in terms of the matchups. So for Cleveland's offense, a few different aspects that I looked at here. First up, in their last 14 games, so to look at the recent form, their offensive rating has actually been around 115 at home and on the road. After following them through the last few weeks of the season, this was actually a, a little bit surprising to me. Oh, man, moving the camera around. Um, 
I expected that their offensive rating would actually be a little bit lower because they did struggle. But as you look back, their offensive performance was decent. Um, a 115 offensive rating for this this Cleveland team is pretty solid. Um, they had they they did do better in terms of actually producing wins. Um, at home though in their last 14 their plus minus was zero at home so they they broke even it was minus seven on the road um they did score 107 points or more in the last eight games straight and so while they did struggle on offense for a while they finished the season relatively strong offensively again some of those games maybe we can't take full um put full weight on them because they came at the end of the season but the Cavs did have something to play for almost right down to the end and so, um, yeah, finished the season well. On the other side, the Brooklyn defense, their last 14, their defensive rating was 115.8 at home. It was only 108.6 on the road. So they did not, uh, they didn't finish the, the year very well defensively. A 115.8 rating isn't anything to write home about. What I did is I went back and looked specifically at how Brooklyn's defense fared against mediocre or bad offenses. Now, Cleveland did finish the, the regular season better, so I want to give them credit for that, but I don't think this is one of the more high-powered offensive teams in the NBA right now. And against these mediocre or bad offenses, Brooklyn around, allowed 107, 98, 105, 123, 95, 106, 123. So they had two kind of bad games where they gave up 123 points, but all of the rest were 107, and I mean four other games, 107 or less. So they really did do much better defensively than their rating says against teams that didn't have very good offense. Also went back and looked at how Brooklyn's defense fared at home. This was much more up and down. Um, they did allow as little as 105, but in their last 10 games at home, they allowed over 120 in one, two, three, four out of those 10 games. So not, not real strong. And, and that's reflective of that defensive rating that they had at home of 115 as well. So when we look at the matchup between Cleveland's offense and Brooklyn's defense, I think that it's uh, it feels to me like it ends up right around that 110 mark. Um, Cleveland has been scoring better, and Brooklyn's not phenomenal defensively. I think especially Darius Garland, this could potentially be a big game for him. Um, since February 1st, Brooklyn's allowed the 11th most points above the average for point guard to that position and the ninth most threes. Garland's been phenomenal uh, all season long, but heading down the stretch here as well. So I, I think that's going to be a key for the Cavs offense is that Darius Garland's going to have to big, have a big game. And I think that this is a, a pretty decent matchup for him where he potentially could do that. Now, when we flip around the other way and look at Brooklyn's offense against Cleveland's defense, Brooklyn's offense has been really good. Their offensive rating in the last 14 games is uh, 120.6 at home which is phenomenal. And on the road, it's been 118.4. So even though Brooklyn hasn't like gone off in every game, what I found as I look deeper into it is they've just been pretty consistently good. And then every now and then they'll pop off for a really large number that pushes those, those overall ratings up a little bit higher. To that point, they've scored 115 or more in seven out of their last 10 games. They're just consistently in those mid-one teens and up. 
went back and looked specifically at how they've done against bad defenses. Cleveland isn't a terrible defense, but I do feel like their defense definitely hasn't been as strong now with Jared Allen out. And Evan Mobley is coming back. That should help them some. But just for the sake of of looking at how they do against mediocre or worse defenses, um, or, yeah, defenses, 134, 118, 118, 115, 119, 128. So they, they've been at 115 or plus in every single game and all the way up into the 130s against teams that don't have very stout defenses. At home, they've been a little bit up and down. They had a game at 110 and 111 in their last 10. But again, on this theme of consistency offensively, they've been at 114 or more in the other eight of those games at home. Switching around to look at Cleveland, Cleveland's defense, in their last 14, um, away from home, their defensive rating has been 122.8. And this is part of what played in for me, actually, to looking at Brooklyn against bad defenses, is that Cleveland's defense by rating has been pretty bad in recent memory. So their defensive rating at home in the last 14 was 115.3, which isn't phenomenal, but is kind of okay. But the 122 point away from home is really not good. When they've when when Cleveland's gone against good offensive teams in the last month and a half or so, they've given up 118, 112, 131, 120, 116, 118. So all that to say 112 was the the floor against good offenses here in recent memory. And the ceiling has gone all the way up into the 130s. Reflective, I think, of what we see of Brooklyn's offense, where their floor is around 115, and their ceiling, again, is in the 130s. So when we look at Brooklyn's offense against Cleveland's defense, again, the intensity is going to be ratcheted up here. But by the numbers, I think we would look for Brooklyn to have a, a scoring floor around 113 or 114. I mean, that's the bottom to me. And I think ceiling-wise, I wouldn't expect them to get up into the 130s in a playoff game, but I do think the mid to even high 120s are the ceiling for Brooklyn's offense in this game. Part of this gets into matchups, too. The reality is that the Cavs star players, Darius Garland in particular, are young. Evan Mobley's a rookie. They do have Kevin Love, but Kevin Love isn't a star for them. I do think he can provide a little bit of a stabilizing presence and help them understand what it's like um, to go into a game like this. But on the other side, you have Kevin Durant, a seasoned veteran who performs at every level um, in every situation. On the other side, you have Kyrie Irving, who for all his ups and downs and all his idiosyncrasies has a phenomenal playoff record, right? I mean, um, so... I think that Brooklyn not only uh, has the advantage on both ends of the floor, I mean, in comparison, um, their defense could struggle some against Cleveland's offense, but, but also they have the advantage in terms of this matchup specifically because of Durant and because of Kyrie. Another factor here is just to, to mention quickly is the pace, especially as we look to the total in this game. Cleveland's pace in their last 14 games has been 95.6 away, 97.26 at home. And so they have played slower on the road. 95.6 is a relatively slow pace. Brooklyn only play, playing at a 98.69 pace at home. So they also are not playing incredibly fast. They've played over 102 pace away from home in their last 14. But don't expect this game to necessarily be up and down really fast um, on either side. In terms of the trends, I do want to get back to talking about trends a little bit as we get into the playoffs here. And I I, I put this last for a reason. 
I think, first of all, you, you want to look at the data. You want to look at the matchups. You want to look at who's playing on each side. And then trends as we get into the playoffs, I think, are worth looking at, but we, we've got to put them in the back seat. But I will mention them. So some of the season trends on this game, really pretty bad for both teams. The Cavs are 1-5 and five against the spread in their last six games as a road underdog, which is obviously the case here. The Nets are 3-23 and 23 against the spread in their last 26 games as a home favorite. That's a pretty damning statistic. 3-23, and 23, I mean, I know that that goes back a ways now, but that's really, really terrible <laughs> in terms of uh, covering the spread as a home favorite. The over is 8-2-1 and one in the Cavs' last 11 road games, and the under is 5-1 and one in the Nets' last six games as a favorite. So s- stuff on both sides of the total there. In terms of matchup-specific trends between these two teams, the Cavs are 3-7-1 and one against the spread in the last 11 meetings in Brooklyn, and the over is 5-2 and two in the last seven. So what do we do with this game? Um, with Brooklyn, a large favorite. Eight and a half in a, a play-in game, I think, is significant. Maybe even more so than in a game that's in a seven-game series. Because in a seven-game series, you could see a team getting down and maybe just kind of letting go of the rope. I'm not saying early on, but by mid-fourth quarter, maybe you just know you're not going to win or, or five minutes left, where in a game like this, unless it's an absolute throttling, you want to fight all the way to the end. This is a big game for both teams, um, obviously. Uh, it's it's winner go home here. So, um, oh, wait, Cleveland, Brooklyn. Sorry, it's not winner go home. I'm a f- effing idiot. Uh it's win or play another game. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, so it's it's a big spot. You want to get in um, and you don't want to have to keep playing. So for me, I line this game um, at Cleveland 114, Brooklyn 120 is where I ended up. That may be slightly high for Cleveland, but I think it's uh, – I feel comfortable putting it there. Like I said earlier, I could see Brooklyn scoring more than that, but it's sort of in the middle of the range that I see them scoring – And so for me at minus eight and a half, I don't see a lot of value there. I definitely trust the Cavs way less than the Nets here, especially because of Durant and Kyrie. Um, And so I would have to give the edge to Brooklyn, but at eight and a half, there's not an edge there for me to want to get involved. Um, And then in terms of the total, I have it at 234. So I do think, especially if you believe that Cleveland can score on the Nets, I think the 228 and a half could be a little bit low. The thing that makes me a little bit scared there is, again, is that increased intensity in the playoffs where we've seen both of these teams scoring really well. But as the defense gets ratcheted up, and I read I read a, um, an article today about how scoring tends to decrease in the first round of the playoffs and then increase back to season averages as you get toward the third round. Well, you know, the play-in isn't even the first round necessarily, but I could see that same kind of thing being true where because of defensive intensity, the scores tend to be a little bit lower. And so that actually personally is going to keep me off of the total here too. I know it sucks to go through a whole game like that and end up not really wanting to take a play. But for me, I'm passing on this game altogether, at least for now, um, unless there's something else that comes up that makes me want to get on it. If I was pushed to absolutely have to make a play, I would still take Brooklyn with those points because I just trust them a lot more. And I think, man, if I was forced, I would take the under 
but I, I mean, I don't feel good about it at all. I, I have zero desire to actually put money on that. So this game to me aligned pretty appropriately looking at all of the stuff that I look at. All right. So that's game number one. Next up, we go to the second game um, that'll determine who uh, who has to play again and who actually moves on into the first real round of the playoffs. And that is the Clippers at the Timberwolves, Minnesota minus three and a 230 total. It's probably pretty clear who I want to win here. Uh, the, yeah, I've made that clear and my hat makes that clear. And I do think I will say up front, I think the Timberwolves actually have a talent advantage here overall. Um, as you look across their roster, um, they have talent at every position. I mean, Carl Anthony Towns, I mean, among the best players in the league. I, I don't mean at the very top, but he's up there. D'Angelo Russell has played incredibly well this year. Anthony Edwards is a solid future star, um, and he's played a little bit down as we've gotten in toward the end of the season. And then they have a lot of really great role players as well. Um guys who can offer athleticism, defense, um, shooting uh, with Beasley. So I do like the Timberwolves roster. What I don't necessarily like as much is the lack of playoff experience um, and potentially lack of leadership. I think we're going to see a lot about that in this game and where things stand, especially if Carl Anthony Towns has developed in that regard some. So that's just some general thoughts. But again, getting into the same kind of breakdown I did on the first game, let's talk about the Clippers offense first. This is a really interesting case because Paul George just came back. He's only played five games with the team since he came back from that injury, but it's been pretty profound. I mean, I remember back to the first game that he returned and I faded the Clippers in that game because I thought it would take them a while to re for him to reintegrate into the team. And it didn't at all. He went off right away. They won that game. I lost my bet. As we look at uh, their offense, we'll go back a little bit further. And then I'm going to talk about what they've done with Paul George specifically. But first let's do the same thing. Look back at their last 14 games for recent form. 118.4 offensive rating last 14. Obviously a lot of that is without Paul George. And so that to me is an incredibly solid number. When I think of the Clippers, I don't think about a team that would have a 118.4 offensive rating over much of any stretch of the season. So the fact that they've done that coming into the end of the year is impressive. When you look at their last 10 games, they have bottomed out a couple times. They had a 97 and a 92, a 100. So there were a few games where they really didn't play well offensively. And the numbers are a bit skewed by the fact that they scored 153 and then 138. But they actually do have a lot of games between like 113 and 121. So they've lived in this really solid range offensively in the mid to upper teens. Also now, if we look at how they've done away from home, they did have that 153. We have to set that to the side. That was a game where a lot of people sat out as well. And so I don't really put any stock in the 153. If we take that out, though, they have three games where they were over 110 and then four games where they were under it. So away a little bit less good <laughs> than home. Then also let's look at how they've done against bad defenses, though, because the reality, unfortunately, is that most of the time Minnesota is a bad defense. Now, they've had games where they absolutely have stepped up and played better defensively, and I do think that they can create some chaos on defense. Overall, they're a very athletic team, and I think if they can get turnovers and then turn that into some fast break points, that can actually be an advantage for them. 
but we definitely can't say that they have a strong defense, and we'll get to that in a minute. Recently, it hasn't been good. Against bad defenses, the Clippers have had one game at 106. I went back eight games that I would say are against bad defenses. One that was at 106, but all the rest are 111. And actually, there's one at 111, then 115 and up. Two at 115, 117, 119, then the 132, 153. So again, against bad defenses, they've at least lived in that mid-one-teens kind of range. All right, so that's the Clippers offense playing better than you'd expect recently. Let's talk a little bit, bit about with Paul George specifically in the five games since he came back. Their offensive rating in those games blew me away. 132.5, 120.5, 127.9, That's their worst with Paul George since his return is 110.5 and 118.1. So in the games that he's he's played, they have been a really good offensive team, actually. Not just okay, but really good. And they go up in this game against a Minnesota defense that we cannot say the same about. Last 14 games, Minnesota's defensive rating has been 117.2. Now at home, it's been 114.8. And, and if we could run with a 114.8, I think I would say, hey, for Minnesota, who's not a good defensive team, that's not too shabby. And they could maybe live with that, you know? But when we dive in a little deeper, over their last 10, it actually gets skewed a little bit because one of those games, they 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 held a team to 95. And other than that, it's been 110 and up in every game. It's been 120 and up in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 out of 10. 8 out of 10, they've given up 120 plus. And 4 out of 10, they've given up 130 plus. 40% of the time here recently, they've given up 130 or more points. It's just terrible. Their defense hasn't been good. And if you look specifically at when they've played good offenses, I will say this for Minnesota coming into the end of the year, they've had a relatively difficult schedule. So there's a large sample size in terms of how their defense does against good offenses, but it's not good. 120 or more in, let's see, I have four eight, nine games against good offenses in recent history, 120 or more in eight out of nine, and the other one was 119. So 119 was the floor against a good offense. And again, especially since Paul George came back, the Clippers have been a good offense. I don't like to say this, um, and I hope Minnesota can count with some real defensive intensity and have a better defensive game. But in this particular matchup, the advantage has to go to the Clippers. They're a team that's got a floor close to 115, and Minnesota's defensive floor has been in the same place. Minnesota's defensive ceiling is up near 130, and the Clippers with Paul George have put up some big point totals. So I see this being a game where the Clippers very likely could get around that 120 mark. The question, if that's the case, is can Minnesota do the same and put up 120 or more points, stay in this game, potentially even win, potentially cover the spread? Let's talk about their offense. Last 14 games, Minnesota's offensive rating has been 118.5, which is good. But for Minnesota, it's not even phenomenal. It's just solid. 119.6 at home in that stretch, so a little bit better at home. In their last 11 games specifically, they do have two games that were under 110, 
but they do have one, two, three, four, five games that are 120 or more. They've been or, uh, six games, sorry, six games, 120 or more. They do have three of those games over 130. So they still have had these offensive explosions. It's just been a little bit inconsistent, which coming to the stretch of the season isn't shocking, especially because they have played a relatively difficult schedule. How have they done against good defenses? We'll talk in a minute about, about whether the Clippers' defense should be classified good or not. I think that is debatable, uh, probably moderately good. How's Minnesota done against good defensive teams? It's not awesome. Not for Minnesota. 102, 112, 116. I won't read all these off to you. They have one game where they got up to 127, but that was like a month ago. Um, or three weeks at least, and every other game has been 116 or less. They've had two that have been under 110, two more that were right at 110. So when Minnesota faces some defensive resistance, they don't put up the kind of points that we think about them potentially putting up. What about the Clippers' defense? Again, we'll talk about them in uh, overall form, and then we'll talk about with Paul George. Last 14, their defensive rating away from home has been 121.9. So that's really not good. At home, it's been 107.6. And so what we have to weigh a little bit here is how much do we think that that disparity between home and away holds versus it being situational over the last 14 games. For me, I tend to look at it as somewhere in between. I think the disparity is probably not as large as it looks over a 14-game sample but they probably have played better defensively at home. That makes sense. In their last 10 games, <laughs> they've had some really good defensive efforts, 88 points, 98 points, 100 points. On the other side, they have allowed four games over 120 points in their last 10. So this is a team that's uh, been up and down defensively. And again, mostly up at home and down on the road. What about when the Clippers play against good offenses? Because whatever we want to say, Minnesota does have a good offense and tremendous potential um, on that side. Well, they've allowed 109, 119, 122, 127, 112, 103. So we're seeing this curve where it's like at times they really do hold teams down. But they have allowed teams to get off a little bit at times who have solid offense. Now with Paul George, man, it just... Uh, throws even more confusion kind of onto what to expect from the Clippers defensively. Their defensive rating in the five games since he came back is 125.9 and 125.2. And you would probably say, okay, so they've sucked on defense. Well, yeah, except the other three are 107.5, 106.6, and 98.9. And so again, it's just been um, really, really up and down. I do want to look here really quick at the Clippers uh, that the game log for the defensive rating in the games that he's played in. So, yeah, so this is interesting. Utah and Chicago are not two teams who are playing well coming into the end of the season, especially offensively. And those really high numbers, the 125.9 and 125.2 are against Utah and Chicago. So those are pretty bad defensive performances. They gave up 115 points to the, the Jazz and 135 to the Bulls. Then you, you skip up because uh, George missed the game against Milwaukee. 107.5 is against New Orleans. That's solid. 
The 106.6 is against Phoenix. This is after Phoenix had already cleared that regular season record um, for for wins. But we'll we'll still say that that's pretty solid. And then the 98.9 is against Sacramento, which Sacramento is not a good team. And so it's hard to give them too much credit for that, though. 98.9 against anyone is pretty good. Um, They finished the the season actually 90.9 against Oklahoma City, but nobody was playing in that game. So um, all of this to say, I know that this is a lot of information, but the picture I'm trying to paint here is a Minnesota offense that has been struggling just a bit, just a little bit off of where they've been at their best. And a Clippers defense that is inconsistent and a little bit difficult to get a read on. Though I would say against a strong offense like Minnesota, it's likely um, that Minnesota should be able to score some points here, potentially stay in this game and give themselves a chance. All right, what else do we have to look at here? The matchup. On the season, Minnesota is number two in first quarter points. The Clippers are fourth to last. So this is one point place potentially you could look. If you're looking for places to get a bet down, is potentially Minnesota in the first quarter um, or in the first half? First half, Minnesota's number three, and the Clippers are third to last. So there has been a disparity overall on the season. Um, Again, does that hold up in the playoffs? That's another question. Minnesota also has an advantage in terms of points in the paint. They're 14th in points in the paint, so in the middle of the league, but the Clippers are fourth to last, and the Clippers are also 25th defending points in the paint, while Minnesota is 11th defending that. Minnesota's also number four in fast break points per game. The Clippers are 20th defending. So on these specific matchups, the numbers seem to favor Minnesota. But what I would say in terms of personnel, and I already talked at the beginning, I think Minnesota has more talent on their roster, but with Paul George, and I know Paul George hasn't always had the, you know, done the best in the playoffs, but I do think the Clippers, uh, with Ty Lue coaching too, could be a really tough team to play in the playoffs specifically. And I'm not sure if Minnesota is ready to step up and be the kind of team that can handle these difficult situations. So matchup-wise, that's a little tricky. When we look at the trends here, um, again, not to put too much stock in them, but just talk about them briefly. Clippers are two and six against the spread in their last eight games as an underdog and one and four against the spread in their last five road games against a team with a winning home record. Good trends for Minnesota, right? However, the Timberwolves are one and four against the spread in their last five games as a home favorite. So those trends not looking good for either team. There are a lot of strong trends to the over here. I'm not going to read through all of them, but um, really the over trend-wise, is probably the strongest play on either of these two games. Um, In fact, the trends on the Minnesota Minnesota side are overwhelming to the over in season. In terms of matchup-specific things, the over's 12-5 and in the last 17 meetings between these two teams, and the Clippers are 4-1 and against the spread in the last five meetings between these two. So what do we do with this game? Well, For me, as sad as it is to say, I'm not sure Minnesota is ready for this. I do have hope that Minnesota would, if they lose this game, be able to go on uh, and win their next one. I do think if the Pelicans beat the Spurs, that would be a tough game because I do have some respect for that Pelicans team. But I think Minnesota will have a solid shot to still make it into the real playoffs, even if they lose this game. Um, And I lean toward that being the case. 
Uh, I'm going to be cheering for him to win, even if I bet on the Clippers uh, fan at heart. So I, I guess maybe I win either way then. But I also do like the over here. So I lined this game at Clippers 123, Timberwolves 117. So I'm putting this this game at 240 in terms of the total. I do think, again, Minnesota could, could score some here and keep the game relatively close. Um, and if it's a close game, I think the over is a good look. The other thing that I actually really do like here is the Clippers team total over. Um, I already bet this earlier today. The Clippers team total over was at 113 and a half minus 115. Um, I really like their chances to go over 113 and a half against this Minnesota defense, even if the intensity is wrapped up, uh, ramped up. Because when Minnesota's defensive intensity is wrapped up, ramped up, I think it can actually make the game play a little bit faster because they can get turnovers, turn those into fast breaks. Um, again, one thing that could work against me here is if there are lower scoring games as we enter into the playoffs, then that would speak against the way that I'm seeing this game. But the best I can do from everything that we've looked at is believe that the Clippers are more likely to get the win here. Um, and that this total is likely to go over, especially the Clippers team total. All right, as you can see, uh, hope you've uh, hung in there and even enjoyed uh, a little bit more information as we we just have a smaller number of games. I do want to dive in deeper, really try to find edges. My, my guess is as we get into the playoffs, these lines are going to be really dialed in as well. Um, so would love to hear what you're doing. Would love to hear, uh, you know, on Twitter, on YouTube, uh, comments in terms of what sounds good to you, what pushback do you have, uh, help me to get better and and see things maybe differently as well. I know as we head into the playoffs, be interested, interesting to see how things play out. Hey, as we head into the playoffs too, I really do appreciate all of you who have been tuning in, who have been giving me feedback, retweeting, all those things. Um, that is really what makes this fun for me. And so appreciate you doing that. Uh, Isaac, what's up, dude? I actually remembered to check the comments. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty proud of myself because I think I've forgotten the last couple times that I, I do want to get better because I enjoy that interaction. So Isaac, appreciate you tuning in, man. Uh, hope we'll get on a good run in the playoffs here. Um, I am going to be in like a NBA capper tournament too. I'm still getting all the details on that, but check, uh, check for updates on that on Twitter at NBA attack. Like it says on the screen there. Um, I'll get that info out so so you can follow me, but also follow the other cappers who are going to be a part of that. I'm sure it's a lineup of some really great people, um, you know, some who I'm sure are more experienced than I am. So those are people you're going to want to check out. If you do want to follow my plays as well, Big Tasty Picks on Betstamp. That is where you can find everything that I'm officially picking. Um, you know, I share some of that here as we're going, but um, feel free to check me out there if you want to see all my plays. All right. Hope everybody has a great night. We'll look forward to tuning into these games. I will try to get uh, another edition out for the games that are coming up on Wednesday. I'll try to get that out tomorrow at some point. Um, have a good night and I will see you on Twitter.